Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that continues to press upon our hearts the matters that concern our Father in heaven. We pray that you would prosper your word and that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would bring forth good fruit, Lord, that there would be a harvest that glorifies your name. We thank you for every opportunity we have to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to have understanding in these matters and that your word would bring clarity, that your word would be a double-edged sword and that it would penetrate the depth of our heart, Lord. So many other things are trying to capture our heart and our thoughts, but the things that really matter concern your word and your purpose, your provision and your protection. So we pray that your word not return void, Lord, and that we might grow and mature and increase and inherit the promises of God by faith and patience, Lord. We pray, Father God, that your word would prosper in our lives and that spring of life would continue the charge of being an influence in the world to transform the shame and corruption into glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So we were, we're coming along this journey, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a preference for it taking as long as it has, but I thank God for it. We started in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is talking to a young man uh, named Titus. He writes these things, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. We know that sound doctrine is the basic teaching of the Christian faith that allows you to start well and end well. I, I don't want, a lot of people are into knowing things for the sake of knowing things. Um, one of the, the, the acronyms for the word Bible, if you, if you like to take notes and you know that the Bible is spelled B-I-B-L-E, you can write basic instructions before leaving earth, okay? Because a lot of people want something in the Bible, like, I want to just know. Uh, I have uh, a gentleman that I know, every year he reads five sci-fi novels this thick. It was science fiction, Star Wars, Star Trek, the Battle Galactica, the... Ah. So he's into reading these books that are full of things that don't have any reality or relevance to it. Um, and so you'll see, if you go into Barnes and Nobles, you'll, you'll, you, this is funny or sad or you could cry with me if you want, but you go into a bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, or give me another name of another one. Amazon or any of these things, you go into a store and 75% of what's in that store is fiction. What's that mean? Fake. It's not real. So I like, when I go into that store, I always go to the biography section because that's something that happened and it's real. So some people like to go into the science fiction, which is all the fake stuff. They, they're just moved by emotion and by imagination and thought. And I'm not, I, I, I don't like to um, 
read on extraterrestrials and, and things that, that pretty much, you know, they, they're not part of my life, um, nor do I want them to be. So, um, but you'll see 75% of everything that's a bookstore is science fiction or uh, fiction, which is not true. And, and so it, it, it feeds a lot of people. But Paul is saying, let's, let's ground it on these things that you can count on. Sound means that there's, it's not false. It's not fake. Uh, it's, it's real. And we already went through the different elements of sound doctrine because verse 2 talks about serious men. You can't have sound doctrine if there's not men. That's why it's a big part of what we do, uh, making sure the guys are sober, reverent, temperament, sound in faith, and love and patience. Those are the elements of a character of a champion. I don't want to hang out. If, if you do the contrast of that, um, you have the comedians, you have all the clowns, you have, I don't have an appetite for that. I, I don't like to play around with things that are serious. Um, Verse 3, women. An element of sound doctrine is not only serious men, but it's women that are not witches. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people like to uh, give place to uh, a, a woman who is not living for the glory of God. Uh, the, the woman who lives for God, the, one, of the, one of the attributes is virtue, which is extreme wisdom. That means she's able to teach a whole nation of what God loves and what God desires and what God's truth is and what God's priority is and pursuing the highest expression of being a woman who is defined by God. Uh, I know that the devil hates woman because she is the instrument of God to help man. She's the perfect helper. So the devil's trying to get her to do everything um, we all know the first woman, Eve, had a conversation by herself, un, you know, supervised, unaccountable, and the devil deceived her, the Bible says. So I know that the woman is a fabulous and phenomenal thing, but I also know that, that the loftier you are, the greater your fall. Be careful. Be careful that, that you who are called to advance a kingdom and a nation is not cursing. Um, Sarah, the same thing, Abraham's wife. Hey, why don't you have a baby with Hagar uh, so, since I can't have one? Um, and, and so be, make sure you double check the fact that you are a wise woman and, and, and get around. And this is what I told one woman last year. I said, why don't you sit down and talk with other women and get a thumbs up. Why, why don't you sit around the older women and, and just let them filter what your thoughts are so that you hit the arrow because the devil is going to take you and yours out. Be careful. Um, the, you know, just, okay, so we'll leave it at that. But I just want to say that there's a lot of women that have a lot of great ideas that curse their families. And eventually the unchecked, unbridled, uh, direction of a woman who thinks that she's building her home and I have no doubt that Eve thought she was helping Adam I have no doubt she wasn't I don't think that she thought she would curse humanity I, I didn't I don't think that she what she was doing and engaging she went over to her husband and says you're going to be like God you know in a twisted mindset the devil tricked her the Bible says she was deceived 
uh, verse 4, and it continues with the women, and it, it focuses on the home, on their husbands and children. I have never, and Margaret, Margaret Thatcher said that, Catherine Hepburn said that, a lot of high and lofty women have said, if I had to do it all over again, I would attend to my husband and to my children. I would focus on my family. After they do a million things, she's a prime minister of England for many years, um, and I'm sure that uh, this uh, Ileana Ross Lettinen would say the same thing. After seeing the results in the life of her daughter, she would say, no, I, I wouldn't serve five presidents. I would serve my husband and my children um, because uh, you're going to have egg on your face when you uh, don't attend to your family. Um, that's your charge. Verse 5 continues on with the women, and it says homemakers. We found out it wasn't hummus makers. Um, it, it was building a home, not a house, not a contractor, not an engineer, not uh, economy comes from the word economus, uh, economus, which means managing the home. That's where the economy, if you don't manage the home, you're ready to pay a big price. So God may not be blasphemed. Then on uh, Wednesday night, if you weren't here, uh, we talked about verse 6, which is likewise the young men, the, the young ones. We talked about that. Uh, and that they be sober-minded. If you want a fool, I, I thank God for Pastor Medieros and how thorough he was dealing with this third aspect of sound doctrine. Wise men, wise women, wise young people. See, three elements there. Our children, uh, the young ones among us. That they be sober-minded. It actually says in verse 7 that they be examples, right? They show yourself to be a pattern of good works. Young people are not supposed to be the display of stupidity. They're not supposed to be the display of foolishness. No, they're to show integrity, reverence, that they're incorruptible. We have some world-changing young people among us. I have no doubt that what I've done in ministry and in family and in life is, is peanuts compared to what's coming behind us. I, I'll tell you guys that right now. Because of the character of the young people that are following us. Verse 8, it continues on to say sound speech. They're not talking garbage. Uh, they cannot be condemned. Uh, that one who opposes them may be ashamed having nothing to say. Um, some of uh, my friends from time to time says, well, your children are not perfect. Uh, I'm like, hmm, uh, they're not there yet, but they're the closest I've seen, you know. And they, and they want to they, they want to they want to talk bad about no 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 no. You're not going to go there because their lives speak louder than their words. The way they live is far more intense. The Bible says, having nothing evil to say, uh, they'll be ashamed because they'll try to say, well, yeah, okay, they're good kids. All right. So verse nine. We go on to sound doctrine, and this is what we're going to share today. I'm going to try and be brief. It says, and older men, older women, young people, and now it says, tell those who are servants among you, slaves, to be obedient to their masters. Okay? A lot of people think that the Bible is obsolete, but I want to tell you that when we're talking about sound doctrine, if you say, well, they already spoke to me, I'm a man, and, and in this portion of sound doctrine, they talk to me about being a righteous man, uh, a God-fearing man, a reverent man of integrity. 
But as I read this, tell the bond servants, tell the slaves, tell the workers, tell those that are under somebody else's authority. I want to ask this morning, are you here in the house of God? Is anybody called in this life to be obedient to a master? If that is you, could you raise your hand? Okay, it's all of us. Every single one of us has to understand, and if you don't understand this, you, you missed it. Um, our call to be obedient to those men who are over us is a call to act like a servant. I want to suggest that there's a big difference between a slave and a servant. A slave is doing things because he has to. A servant is doing things because he wants to. See, the difference is an attitude problem. Listen to me. There's no greater blessing than to be under authority because those under authority have authority. If you don't, if you have issues that your wife doesn't respect you, I would ask that you visit the fact that you, she hasn't seen the display of how you act under authority. You're not a servant. Um, it says to be well-pleasing in all things, shutting your mouth. Does it say that? What's it not answering back mean? It means shut up. And okay, so now these scriptures are messing hard with us because we will serve as long as we can give our opinion, how we think, how we feel, you know, what we thought, we could have, we should have. And, and guess what? That's not a servant. You, 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 we all raised our hands saying we're all under a master to obey, but we want to give our opinion. And if they don't listen to our opinion... So, so here it, is, it says to be well-pleasing. To who? Does anybody know to who? To who you're serving. To who you're under. And so this is where sound doctrine is manifest because we all have a job. And I want to say this. This has to be said before I finish today. That those who reach the highest level of anything upon the earth are the greatest in an attitude of humility. Uh, you, you're not going to advance in resisting and being proud and answering back. Uh, we have the example of Mr. Ariel who says, I was a great football player, but every time the coach said something, I had to give him my opinion. Right, Ariel? Right? And he says, guess what, Ariel? We're going to not put you to play anymore. Who, who messes with a coach at a football team? Who, who messes with a coach? A rebellious person. Um, George Carrigal was in the baseball, and he was playing out there, and he's, he's catching balls. And, and the coach says, Carrigal! And he says, I was thinking, you're not out there to think. I'm the coach. I'm paid to think. You're out there to do what I say. See, this, this is in every expression. doesn't matter what you do in life. If you don't have an attitude of a servant, you're going nowhere. 
You're not going anywhere. The Bible says this. Sound doctrine are those people who have understood Jesus' word in Matthew 23, 11, who says the greatest, the greatest, the greatest amongst you shall be a servant. And, and this is why, this is the process to discipleship. We come from the world where we don't let anyone tell us what to do, where to go, what to say, how to do it. When a young man came to our church in Mexico, and, and he, he came in and says, I want to marry her. I said, let's go and let's have a meeting right now because she's part of the church and you come from outside. And he says, before we start our meeting, this is a young guy. He's like 25. And he wants to marry one of the young girls at church. And so we meet up with him and the girl. The father asked us to meet up with him. And he says, before we start our meeting, I want to know one thing. And I says, I'm going to kill him. He goes, why are you messing with my relationship with her? Why are you involved? This is me and her. I was like, obviously this guy is a psychopath. He has no one. He's come here to want to marry one of our most precious, beautiful girls. And he's asking me and Pastor Mediero, who's the senior pastor in Mexico, why are we meddling in his life? And so I had to, I had to be patient and humble and tell him, listen, you, you dimwit. You have come here and asked for our most precious treasure. What are you talking about us meddling in your life? You have come here wanting to take what's most precious to us. Um, I know some families want to get rid of their daughters, but that's fine. Um, uh, I was like, we're not messing with you. You're coming here. So again, the greatest among us need to be a servant. How many want to be honest and say, I don't do that well? How many want to say that? How many want to admit, Pastor, to me, it feels like acid being poured on my forehead every time somebody treats me, because that's what they say. You know a servant by the fact that when they treat you like a servant, you act like a servant. You have joy, you have peace, you have a surrender, you have a desire to lay down your life. And Jesus had this nature in him. He says, learn of me. I'm meek and I'm humble. And he went to the cross as a sheep going to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. How many would have opened up their mouth all the way carrying that cross? <laughs> See what you guys are doing to me? Just wait. Wait till we get to heaven. <laughs> See what you guys are doing? You're spitting on me. You're kicking. Oh, wait. You... I was watching Undercover Boss last night, and these guys go into the company, and they're treated like less than employees, and, and they're biting their tongue because they want to say, you know something, I could fire you right now. I could disappear you. You could never work here again. Um, again, humility. If, if, if we're going to hit this thing, and I only have 10 more minutes, so I'm going to need to hurry up. But sound doctrine needs to be what is the propensity we have, what is the disposition we have to be really treated at a level where we have nothing to say, nothing to participate. There's nothing that you bring to the table that is useful. Um, I'm talking about useful. We're going to get into that now, but 
being a servant, let's go back to sound doctrine, Titus 2, verse 9. Teach these slaves to be obedient to their own masters. So I always tell a Christian, okay, you're, you say you're a Christian, who do you listen to? Who do you obey? Give me the name and the number of that one person that, that you don't do as you please, you do as they tell you. You, you, if you're not, if you don't have that disposition to say, I have a person that will tell you that I do anything they say to the highest level because I'm serving them, not myself. Who is that person you're serving? And, and be careful that you're not serving anyone because you're not going anywhere. It says, um, verse 10, in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and to not steal from them. Do you divert? Do you, do you take another route? Because you, you, you're not, you don't want to go in the direction and pay the price. You're going to discount. You're going to divert. You're going you're gonna to play the dance game, not pilfering, not stealing, not diminishing but showing all good fidelity. Showing that you can be fully trusted. See, see we said that if, if I give, bless you, if, if I give you Coca-Cola, the recipes and the ingredients to Coca-Cola with the logo, with the colors, with the font, and when you grab it, you say, hmm, I'm going to mess with this a little bit because I don't agree with, and, and I'm going to give somebody Something that, you know, that's going to have a slight a, a twist on what I've been handed. That's not a, that's not a faithful person. When we, when we give Oscar, for example, why is Oscar a faithful man? We put him in Nicaragua for five years. And when he left Nicaragua, guess what's in Nicaragua? Spring of life, Nicaragua. It's, it's not Calvary Chapel. It's not Hillsong. It's not totally deed, totally dumb. No. It's, it's what was entrusted to him is what he poured out. And if you go, and we're going to go uh, now next month, the 10th anniversary, there's going to be a celebration of a good seed that was planted that's going to change that nation for the glory of God. Because there's people down there that really live like we're living and, and have, have embraced the vision. And so they're faithful. And there's some people that I say, look, I've given you some great seed for your children, but I don't think that your granddaughters are going to live this thing. Because you're twisting it. I don't think that you guys are going to be able to pass down to the next generation what we've given our sons because you've twisted it. You tweak it. You, you play with it. You think that you can mess with what's been entrusted. Well, Paul says to Timothy, give this stuff to faithful men who's able to teach other men. What? What they've received, that's what they give. But there's some that do a dance and a fiddle and, and they come out with another, another expression of what's going on. He says, no. These servants, let them be faithful, that they adorn the doctrine of God, that they make this life attractive. Do you know some Christians are like, I have to go. And, and man, I don't want to go anywhere. You're going with that face. That life that you think, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're having issues with being a servant of God. They're having an issue for obedience. They have, well, why do you guys keep on pressing the fact that, listen, there's only one reality. And, and you're to be presented to God in the manner that he's looking for. 
What makes it precious to him, it's a fragrance that's well-pleasing to him. Don't come like the sons of um, Aaron. Uh, Moses had a brother. He had some nephews. And the nephews were, were mixing, the Bible says, strange fire. What strange fire? Trying to give God what he's not looking for. He, it's a stench in his nostrils. He, he's looking for the, the image and the likeness of Christ. So this, along those lines, is a prodigal son um, declaration. What did the prodigal son say in Luke 15, 19? He came back from doing his own thing to realizing, wait a second, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. Because if you're not a faithful servant, you can't declare yourself a son. A son looks like the father. A servant is in that direction. What the prodigal son did was kidnapped his inheritance. He went to a faraway place. Why do people go far? So nobody talks to them. So nobody listens. So they don't have to, the nearer you get, you know, there's some people that love me and move right across the street. Caracol is an example. When he met our church, he says, I want the house that's closest to your house. And then Geraldo and Denise did the same thing. It was, we want to be your next door neighbor. Why? Because they want more of what they've seen. And they're paying the price. It's not the best neighborhood. It's not the best houses. But they want the inheritance of blessing, prosperity, and peace. And so they're right across the street. It doesn't bother me the least bit. I love coming into my neighborhood and, hey, Caragol, and I, I walk over and I spend some time with Geraldo. And so while some people like to see me once a week at church on Sunday, they see me every day. I'm knocking on their door every day. I go play with their daughter every day, every night, every moment I get. Why? Because they want more. They want more of what we have as a life. So what is your life like? Are you kidnapping your life and taking it far so you have the expression of what you don't even know is going to be your worst nightmare? So here in the life of a servant, he's returning home. He says, I don't want to be a prodigal son no more. I want to come back and I want you to deal with me like you deal with those slaves you have in the back. Because if you could break my will, then I will be useful. Say with me, useful. That's what a servant is, is useful. What is, what is, what, the, what, what God says when we get to heaven, welcome thou good and faithful servant. And then to the other one, he says, you're unprofitable. You're not, you're not doing anything good in my demise. This is great preaching. If it was a Christian church, we'd have a lot of amens. We have a book in the Bible. It's an entire book. It's the book of Philemon. Let's go there. Uh, Philemon number, uh, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. There's 28 verses uh, somewhat. Um, here in Philemon is a, a runaway slave. We talked about the prodigal son went far. A lot of people go far. But there's people that are returning. And this is the story of a fugitive. And I was on an airplane once. And I was talking to a businessman. And I had a very brief time, so I said, listen to me. Have you ever read the book in the Bible that is one page? The one page book in the Bible. And by the time you finish that page, you would have read, let me see here, I want to be accurate. 
by the time you finish, you would have read 25 verses. 25 sentences of a book in the Bible that's one page that nobody has read. And so I'm telling this guy, and I said, listen, have you ever read the Bible? He says, no, it's too long. I said, okay, let's go to one page. It's the book of Philemon. In the book of Philemon, and, and I tell him real quick, it's a slave that runs away. And when he runs away, he ends up in prison, and he meets Paul. And Paul says, my friend, don't hate, don't despise being a slave, because slave training is eternity training. The greatest men that have lived upon the planet have denied themselves, have said, not my will, thine be done. That's the model, Jesus Christ. And you're a slave so you can be a servant like the Lord. Do it with good disposition. In fact, I know your master, Paul says. His name is Philemon and the slave's name is Onesimus. Onesimus is the Greek word youthful. And because he's running away from his master, he's become unprofitable, unuseful. So now he's in a prison, and Paul says, I'm going to write a letter, and you're going to go back to your master, Onesimus. You're going to repent. You're going to conform. You're going to be made into the image and likeness of Christ in your obedience, in your acceptance under authority, in your rejoicing under tribulations and trials. And so, the, the, and, and when I finish with this businessman, he says, I go, what do you think that that, what God is trying to tell us? What do you, why would God put this book, 25 sentences, in one book in the New Testament called Fighting Men? Why is it there? I asked the man, why do you think God wants us to hear that message? And he goes, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you why, because you, my friend, are the fugitive. You, my friend, have absconded. You've run away. You are AWOL. Any military people? Absent without leave. You're doing your own thing. You don't listen to anybody. You don't serve anybody. You hate where God has put you. And it's the place where he's polishing the diamond. It's the place where the trophy of grace is going to be seen. Because if you're full of yourself, you're a stench. You're going to go the way of Satan. I will, I will, I will. I think Donna Summer sang that song too. I will, I will, I will. Listen to me. He got it. That businessman says, wow, I never knew I was a fugitive. I never knew I was running away from God. I never knew. How many of you, you know, you read a story about a slave who runs away, and all of a sudden you say, yes, serves him right. He broke free. Now he doesn't have to listen to anybody. Some guys tell me, you know something? Uh, everywhere I go, I have problems. I go, yeah, because you're the problem. You can't run away from yourself, my friend. Man, if this was a Christian church... Help him, Lord. Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I got to finish. I'm late. Timothy, our brother, is in that letter. He's writing with Paul. Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, 
and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Verse 2, this guy had a gathering of believers in his home. And, and Paul is saying, you're going to see the next verse is Paul is saying, you're a champion, you're a champion, you're a champion, you're a champion. Now let's see if you're a champion. Watch this, verse 3. That house that's in your church, grace and peace be from God to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father. Verse 4. I thank God, here it goes, making mention of you always in my prayers. You, Philemon, master, slave, owner, authority, are in my prayers. You're a Christian. You have a, a, a cell a group in your home. The church meets at your home. Verse 5. I make mention of hearing that you're love. Woo! You're, you're on fire for God. Your love is great. Your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints, you are the epitome and the expression of world-changing faith and love. Verse 6. Sharing of your faith may become effective, the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, you are the expression of everything the gospel is all about. Verse 7. <coughs> we have great joy. We have great comfort in your love. Because the heart of all those who know God are refreshed by you, my brother in the faith. So verse 8. While I can command you. I could be very bold and tell you what to do because I have higher rank than you. Though I might be very bold to command you what you should do, how many, how many, that, you know, there's an old saying that you catch more with honey than you do vinegar, right? And, and somebody, well, if he would have told me in the right way, I would have done it. What if he would have told you in the bad way? If you were a servant, you would have done it also. You're not going to make an issue whether you're commanded to do something or, verse 9, uh, for, yet for love's sake, not a commandment, not because I pull rank on you, because out of love, I'm appealing to you because, first, I'm Paul. I'm not Joe Schmo. What, what is the expression of the man who serves God, who's speaking into your life? Who is he? Where is he? What is he? Is he just some homeless on the street? It doesn't matter. If he's speaking in the name of God, glory to God. And if he's Billy Graham, you give it a little bit more weight. Why? Because he's Billy. And Paul is saying, I'm talking to you, knucklehead. I'm not a fly-by-night right now. I'm old and I'm in prison for my Lord. I don't... If you understand what I'm trying to say, he's building up the reason why this guy should in love do what he's going to be asked to do. He says, I could command you. I could command you. My rank in the Lord and the sufferings that I'm suffering should more than sufficiently propel you in that direction. Who's speaking to you when they're speaking and you should be attentive? Because a big difference if a commander's speaking to you or a drill sergeant. If he's a five-star general and he has a feeling, my friend, you are a knucklehead. You're a knucklehead. If you don't understand the ranks of who's speaking. And he's saying, it's, it's me, Paul, and I'm old already. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to even be into this. And then I'm sitting in jail. 
I'm paying a greater price than you, my friend. And that's what I was saying, that not only is he's telling Philemon, you're to walk in this scenario because I'm walking in it. I'm sitting right in jail because I'm a servant of the Lord. Verse 10, he says, uh, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? A fugitive, a runaway slave. Somebody who Philemon could say, no, no, Paul, you got it all wrong. When this guy gets back, I'm going to cut his head off. He deserves to die. He is a, he's betrayed. If I don't give him the punishment he deserves, all my other slaves are going to run away. How are you going to ask me to forgive? Onesimus means useful in Greek, whom I begotten while I was in my chains. Paul says he came to the Lord. Yeah, he ran away, but he came to the Lord now. And I'm sending him back to you so you forgive him. And because you're such a great Christian and you're a powerhouse and everybody knows you love the Lord and are willing to do anything, now let's see if the rubber meets the road. Verse 11. I, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Guys, do you see the contrast here that once we were without God and we were good for nothing, but now in God's purpose, we are much profitable. We're much at value. We have, we have incredible, this is my excitement in all these matters. Yeah, that, that when we're down deep in the sewer, in the tra uh, trash, God pulls us out, wipes us off, polishes, makes us diamonds, shows us off, off to the nations. So he's saying now there's a different relationship here. Now don't look at him just as a slave who ran away, who deserves death. Verse 12, he's now profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back for you. Sending him back to you. I don't know the conversation you think and I think that Paul would have had with Onesimus that would inspire and motivate him to come back into the fire. To come back into the heat of suffering. To come back into the heat of having to deal with being a slave, a servant. What did Paul tell him? You know, he announced the kingdom of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ, who took the form of a slave and went to be obedient and obedient to death. Therefore, God gave him a name above every name. The more you suffer, the higher you go. The more humiliation, the higher the exaltation. The more God is able to put you in the fire, the higher you'll go. And some of us do not tolerate the least bit of suffering. We don't tolerate not even the least... Listen, if we're sons in a house and we can't put up with fathers, how are you going to do in the business world when you're going to have a boss, a regional boss, a district boss, a, a state boss, a national boss? You're going to have bosses all over the place. Talk to Carlos Leon. He'll tell you a little bit about humility, that when you support the dealings of the business world in humility and meekness and lowliness, you become a champion. You get the top seat. Why? Because you're ready for it. And so Paul must, I don't know, you tell me what Paul told Onesimus that caused him to joyfully come back and sit in the fire. In, in the, I don't know what it is, but I know it was the right ingredients that he got a vision of the heavens. Verse 13, I'm sending him back to you, therefore receive him, whom I wish to keep with me. I wish I was able to see this guy and where God is going to, that on, my, uh, on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains. I will use him if you don't. 
If you don't see the redeemable aspect of his charge in the gospel, I'll keep them. Verse 14. But I wish not, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. Paul is honoring these systems of engagement. And your good deed might not be led by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. I don't want you to do this thing because you are, I want you to do it with understanding. I want you to be a part of God's gameplay in the life of this gentleman. Verse 15. We've got to hurry up. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. This, this verse right here is the contrast because I know I'm going through things, but I'm not just going through things to go through them. I know that God's hand is sovereignly behind it. Perhaps he did run away so that he might receive, so that you might receive him forever. Everything has a external, behind-the-scenes hand of God. I know that you did it. You, you know, he did it as a sinister slave, a rebellious, disobedient. But look at the hand of God behind this. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says, I know you guys did it for evil. Even when things are going wrong and even when the people in it. Let's go to Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you meant it evil against me. Your dealing with me was wrong. It was unjustified. It was unfair. It was unrighteous. But God meant it for good. In order that many would be saved. Genesis 45.8. He says. All this. This is Joseph's life. So now it was not you who sent me through this process. But God. So that I might become a father to Pharaoh. A lord over his house. A ruler over the land of Egypt. My. Your dealings with me. Were not on a personal level. We're not on, on what's going on now and what I see. I see the sovereign hand of God picking up Onesium, making him run away to come to me to get saved, to now to come back. Don't you see God's hand in it? And if you're not seeing God's hand in a lot of these things, the devil's playing with you, my friend. The devil's playing with you. And you're, being, you're, you're just letting him play with you. So we go and we'll continue on, and we're going to finish here. Uh, verse 16. Verse 15 was for perhaps this is why he departed in the first place, that you should receive him now forever. Titus 2, 16. Now as a servant, not as a servant, but above a servant. Listen, now not only, yeah, let's go to uh, Titus, no, Philemon, I'm sorry, Philemon. 116. No longer as a slave, now you, he's been promoted to more than just one of your servants. And I want to tell, this is for all of you guys who exercise authority over the guys you guys exercise authority. Not as a slave, but as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? Both in the flesh, in the natural, and in the Lord. I need to read this verse. Um, super important. Genesis 39.5. Do you know that God will prosper your entire institution as a leader depending on how you treat those guys that are under you? The Bible says, so it was from this time that he made, had made him overseer of his house that he had that the Lord blessed the master's house because of Joseph's sake. Maybe, maybe Philemon cannot prosper until he starts treating Onesimus in a manner that realizes his gifting to that people. How do you treat the people under you? How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you treat those people that work with you? In my law office, for example. 
for, for 10 years, I had one rule. No sibling rivalry. What's that mean? No tit for tat amongst the workforce. Let's have an environment of peace, of joy, so that we can prosper, so that we can be blessed. And for Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. How do you treat the people under your charge? That's going to dictate where you're going. How do you treat them? What do you do? How do you refresh them? Well, I want them to treat me better. Oh, I want them. How do you treat people under your watch, my friend? I don't have any people. Why? Because I'm stingy. I don't want no people under my charge. Well, those people are the very people that will prosper your plight, your endeavor. And you can never prosper and be fruitful and be blessed in your endeavors if you mistreat those people under your charge. Here, Joseph is a slave in the house of Potiphar. And God is prospering his life depending on how Joseph conducted business. So Onesimus, who knows that this guy who's now your servant has become your beloved brother in the Lord. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Verse 17, if you count therefore me as your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 18. If he's wronged you. What do you mean if? Of course he's if. Of course he wronged me. And he owes you anything. Put it in my account. Why? Because you owe me. Verse 19. I've put this in writing with my own hand. I will repay you. Not to mention that you have a debt with me my friend. Not to mention that you owe me. Even beside your own self. Do you know about paying forward to somebody who owes you something? This, this verse that I, I wrote here is in Luke. It says, um, you're to, it's, it's about the Samaritan. He says like this, I'm going to leave him in the end. I've already healed him. I've already provided for him. And if he has an expense of anything in the future, put it on my tab. Have you done that for somebody? Have you said, look, I'm going to repair, I'm going to replenish, but anything he owes you in the future, it'll be on me. That's called paying it forward. I think we Christians should be those type of people. Paul says, if he owes you anything, put it on my charge. You owe me. Verse 17, if you count me, therefore, your partner, whatever he owes you, put it on my tab. It's Luke 10.35. The good Samaritan says to the innkeeper, I'm going to pay for everything he needs, and then anything that remains, put it on my tab. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarius, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to them, take care of him on my bill, and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. That has to be Christ. Christ covers our future. Verse 20. Yeah, brother, let me have joy in thee and the Lord. Refresh my insides, Philemon, verse 20. Refresh my insides, my heart in the Lord. Let me have joy from you. Verse 21, having confidence in your obedience. I know 
that you will do even more than I say. Are you the type of servant that says, I already did what you asked me to? No, my friend, I want you to not do what I asked you. I want you to do much, much, much more. Show me the capacity you have to refresh those people you are under. I already did what you said. Yeah, but you missed the spirit of what I was saying. If you're not a servant, you're a slave. All you do is, I already did what you were. Now that pastor wants and you're throwing attitude all you're going nowhere, my friend. You're going nowhere. He says, I know not only you're going to do what I say, but you're going to do even more. How many servants are that like that in this house? Verse 22, there's not one. No, no one said amen. But with all, prepare me a lodging. I'm going to come in the future. I'm going to be a guest in your home, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. You guys get together and pray for me. Now, verse 23, 24, and 25 is saying goodbye. All these issues, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Um, can we have sound doctrine in this place? It's going to require men, women, children, but it's going to require a servant's heart. Let's stand this morning. I've delivered the goods in Jesus' name. We just went from slavery to kinship, kinship, which means you're a relative, you're a family member. How you treat this family it's going to decide where you go. Some of you still are not part of the Spring of Life family, not because we don't want you to be, but because you have not come into that relationship. You, you haven't wanted the inheritance in this house. You haven't wanted your children to have what we have for your children. Father, thank you this day that we have considered the beginnings of sound doctrine not only by righteous and reverent men and virtuous women and godly youth, but with the attitude of servants, Lord. This is all written in chapter 2 of Titus, addressing these aspects of our life, how we treat our employees, how we treat our masters, how we treat the people who have been appointed authorities above us. That we not be fugitives, that we not run away, that we not hide, that we not take vengeance and fear but that we would have faith and know that your hand is behind it all. We pray that this word might prosper in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray and all the people say amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Hallelujah.